Stella made a beat, so it's go time. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. The Core 4 Podcast is one of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. I'm on Megaphone. Uh, Usually it's hosted by Parker Fleming and Nate Chester, two senior writers for Grizzly Bear Blues. But they're both finishing up their finals at school. Um, So this is me, Brandon Abraham, a senior writer at Grizzly Bear Blues, filling in for them to talk about what's been going on with the Grizzlies the past week or so. And filling in as my co-host for today is Connor Dunning, former executive producer of Eric Hasseltine's show, but you can still catch him on 92.9 between 2 and 4 every day as they kind of figure out what to do, what they're going to do going forward. Um, be sure to subscribe to the Core 4 podcast. You can do it really wherever you find your podcasts, um, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone. Be sure to subscribe, tune in, check it out. Uh, Parker and Nate do a great job, and Connor and I are going to try and in their shoes pretty well. Uh, so pretty much not much has gone on since the season ended in the last core four from a couple weeks ago with uh, Parker, Nate, and Joe tagged along. But we do have some coaches as the Grizzlies have been about a little bit over a month without a head coach. Um, first one that we heard about was Alex Jensen. He's a Utah Jazz assistant. Connor, how do you feel about that? Uh, first off, I'm happy to be here. Very, very cool. Yes, like you said, formerly the producer of Eric Hasseltine, but I promise there will be something from two to four. Right now, I personally think that Jeffrey Wright's doing a fantastic job. So, yeah, you can catch us every single day, two to four, CT. We're doing our thing. But, you know, I like Alex Jensen. It's not, he's, he's a good coach. He was a G League coach of the year in 2013. A big a big thing that I harped on kind of on 929 and then just the conversations I've had with you and and a bunch of the GBG GBB guys is that I want a guy that can develop talent. I think that's one maybe maybe my main thing that I need the coach coming in to do and Alex Jensen is certainly a person to do that with his G League experience and like you said he's got go bear development history there. I don't know if he deserves all of the credit for that, but he at least deserves a little bit of credit for that. So, I think he would be a fine coach to bring in. I think all three of the coaches that they've kind of pegged for now, uh any of them being brought in wouldn't be a bad thing for the Grizzlies. I, I agree completely. I think uh, Jensen's kind of been known as a player development guy with the Jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, like you touched on with Gobert, um, he doesn't deserve all the credit for making Gobert the way the player he is today. But, I mean, you can attach his name to Gobert, and that's a good sign for Jaron going forward. Um, he's been the lead assistant, um, you know, for Jazz this year. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, the two other names yeah. out well, there. Th- one more thing about Jensen real quick. I think that a big a big thing that is a positive sign for him is that he coached under Rick Majerus at St. Louis. And Rick Majerus, as many people know, is just an absolute legend in college basketball coaching. So he his resume is arguably the best out of all of them. Zarunas may catch him in, a, in the resume game. We're about to cover him in just a second. But like Alex Jensen coaching under Rick Majerus, and he's, he's under a great coach right now. Uh, my mind is blanking right now because I just got done doing the show uh, <laughs> Who, what's their coach? Who's the coach in Utah? Quinn right Snyder. Now? Oh my God! Yeah, the evil genius Quinn Snyder. <laughs> forgive me, forgive me for that, GBB listeners. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's coaching under guys that that certainly trust him, and getting getting testimonials from guys like that is, I think, very important uh, for coaches. I mean, 
Jaron Collins got a, a great one from Steve Kerr. Yeah, I agree. And uh, kind of like what you touched on with uh, the resume, Alex Jensen has a good one, you know, here in the States. And then you have Sarunas Jessica Vicious. Um, don't really know. That's if the that's, best we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to call him Sarunas and we're going to go with it. Um, he's Lithuanian. And I'm going to go ahead and stop you there. No, Jonas is not having an impact on the hire. It's just really more coincidental than anything right i mean he's probably not hurting it but just but he's not going to be like hire this guy like i i don't think that that's type of the relationship that he has with our front office right now but he may have been like hey you may want to look at this guy but yeah. overall yeah like you said he's probably not going to have a huge impact on the hire yeah so sarunas was a great european point guard had played in the nba for a few years um popovich when i was kind of doing my research wanted him on the summer league staff in 17 um sarunas declined he had already had like summer plans or something, um, which was a little weird. But he finished third last year in the EuroLeague season. Um, he's a passionate coach of Zalgiris. Um, and it kind of comes down to when you look at his resume compared to Jensen is it kind of takes me back to the draft last year of how much stock do you take the European success? Right. Because Strunas has been great. He's one of the up-and-coming European coaches. But how much do you take that in consideration when comparing it to a guy like Alex Jensen who has – you know, the experience here in the United States. Right. Uh, I think a big thing that a lot of Grizzlies fans, I think, are looking for is at least some head coaching experience, because if I'm not mistaken, all of the hires under Robert Parrish so far have, all of them have been at least assistant coaches. You can technically say that J.B. Bickerstaff had head coaching experience as an interim coach, but let's be honest, that's not really being a head coach experience. You're inheriting a different team, a different front office. They're not really your guys. So I would, I would say that an interim head coach is somewhat head coaching experience. Experience, but it's not a full head coaching experience. And Zarunas is he's the only guy that does have head, co- head coaching experience. But like you said, it's it's with the European teams. But again, a testimonial from a guy like Greg Popovich, that's like an A-plus top of the resume type of thing. I think he'd be a fine player. Uh, of, of course, he has a good relationship with Jonas Valanciunas, so that's not going to hurt anything. I, I mean, I would be fine with any three of these guys. Yeah, because the, the third candidate so far that's been interviewed is Jerron Collins. He's been assistant with the Warriors since 14 um, after spending 11 years in the NBA and he's been key in their development of their big men um, which I, I don't really know how I feel about that if I'm totally honest because Jordan Bell guys like them have looked good in spurts but they haven't had a consistently good big man like you know Jensen can kind of tie his name to Gobert. John Collins has had hit four years big men look good but it also could just be the subject of no big man's really going to succeed super well in the Warriors' offense. Right. Uh, he is, I mean, he's a six foot 11 former center, and he's, he's regarded as being a quality developer of post players. And it's kind of been a revolving door for the Golden State Warriors with the big man position. I mean, he, he's coached, let's see, Andrew Bogut, Mo Spates, Festus Azili, Jordan Bell, Kevon Looney, DJ Jones, DeMarcus Cousins, David West, JaVale McGee. Now, I will say, it does seem like some of these players were playing outside of what they should have been. Festus Azili, Jordan Bell and Kevon Looney uh, were probably the best examples of guys playing above what they probably should have been, and you, he deserves some credit for that. And especially with a young guy like Jaron Jackson Jr., bringing in a guy that knows how to develop young big men is a huge, huge positive for me. And another thing with Zarunas that I want to touch back on, too, is that let's say that the Grizzlies do end up having to draft a point guard in this draft. We'll get that to that a little bit later in this pod. He was a former point guard, and that's definitely going to help with the development of a point guard. You, I mean, we've already seen from the Grizzlies, having a coach that knows how to develop a point guard and trust a young point guard can really do, it can do wonders for them. I mean, 
the beginning of Mike Conley's tenure in Memphis was not good because the coach just didn't trust him. And then Lionel Hollins was basically like, you're my guy, go do your thing. And I think if you bring a coach in that trusts a young player and lets him run, it's going to be, it's going to bode well for the team. So, I mean, who, who would you say is your favorite? If you had to rank all three of these guys, let's do that. That's probably because they're so, so close in reality. If we had to rank the three of them, where, what would you do? I would probably have to go um, Jensen, Sarunas, and Collins. I mean, kind of like you said, they're all, in theory, kind of the same general idea. Mm-hmm. Um, focusing on Jaron, I would love to see Jaron turn into a guy like Gobert with range. Um, and I, I trust Jaron, you know, the coaching tree he comes from. Jensen, the coaching tree he comes from. Sarunas, the points you just made about him being a point guard because Jaron's only going to be as good as the point guard who can get him the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and then Collins is third. I, I just really don't know too much about Collins and his actual coaching experience because yeah. the Warriors effect is real. Yeah, he, I mean, he's only been coaching since 2014, but that's a great coaching staff to be on. He's with former a lot of former head coaches on that on that coaching staff. Um, I would probably rank it Zarunas one. Jensen two, Collins three as well. Uh, let me ask you this: So, is Go Bear with range? What is that? Is that like a Dave, like late career David Robinson when he extended his range out, or is that like a Kevin Garnett type of player? Because that does kind of sound like Kevin Garnett with Rudy Gobert. If you combine his defensive uh, prominence with just a, a great offensive player that can spread the floor and, and extend it to the three point line, that's basically Car- Kevin Garnett, right? Yeah, I, I agree completely, and it it also helps you know that KG's spent a lot of time working with Jaron on his game, you know, yep. He's all last year. quote unquote mentor. Yeah. So I, I, th- I think, I mean, that's probably the best thing with Gobert with range is, you know, Kevin Garnett. Yeah. You know, maybe a little less of, you know, the length and the size that Garnett had compared to, uh, uh, Go- that Gobert has now, but yeah, he, I yeah. mean, Gobert's a freak of nature. He's an alien, but yeah. the the basis of his defensive game is very simple, and I think it's something that Jaron can definitely benefit from having a coach that coached him and saw that because he already had a guy like Marcus All. It is unfortunate, although it was necessary to trade Marcus All, it is unfortunate that he's not here to kind of teach Jaron the ropes of of low post defense because. Like, I, I really, really like Jonas, but he's not necessarily a rim protector. And, another, and like, another benefit of having Joachim Noah here for at least a season was that he was able to give some of his wisdom to Jaron. So one thing that it is a little concerning for me and I think is a reason that they're looking at big men development is because we don't really have a veteran big man in the locker room right now that can, like, help Jaron and be like, hey, this is how you defend the paint and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and then just kind of the last thing, touching on the coaches, there's – Still tons of names out there. You know, these are only three that have been linked to the Grizzlies so far. Is there any other candidate out there that you want the Grizzlies to go after? I mean, we could revisit Frank Vogel again. That's always a good guy to revisit. I wouldn't be surprised about that. You always have the Becky Hammonds or any of the Spurs assistant coaches or gold mines to go after. Uh, Mike Woodson's still out there. Mike Brown's still out there. So there are some guys that I think that they, they're, they're probably going to peg. But, I mean, it seems like the same guys are kind of in rotation for a lot of people right now. Uh, one name that was linked to us early, that but he hasn't interviewed yet, is Brent Barry. I think that'd be a really good idea. Kind of have like a hopeful Steve Kerr jump from an analyst <laughs> to, a, to an NBA head coach. So I do think that the Grizzlies are going to probably hire a good coach. It's not going to be a sexy hire and for obvious reasons, a, a co- like an experienced head coach isn't going to come in here and be like, oh, so I might get fired if I don't do well for the first two years. Uh, but I think that they'll probably end up with a, a good coach, but probably not a great coach. But as Jeffrey Wright and I have discussed, 
it's not necessarily all on the coach. I don't think the coach is the most important hire of this offseason. I think that they've probably already made the most important hires, and that's in the front office. And if, you, if they put smart basketball minds in the front office that want to build a winning coach, culture and they put a, a good roster together, that's going to be the best-case scenario for the Grizzlies this offseason is just kind of try to – Figure it out. The draft lottery is going to change a lot of lot of things. So let's go ahead and get to that right now. There's a lot of pre-draft stuff going on. You are our Mr. Hustle. A lot of the draft workers that workouts that they're doing is probably going to be for guys that they either draft if they get into the second round or are going to be free agent signings after the draft. Do any of these guys stand out to you? Um, there's a couple. So over the we're recording here on Thursday. Um, so yesterday they had Marlon Hunter, Anthony Lawrence, Skylar Mays, Matt McQuaid. Juwan Morgan, and Josh Reeves on Wednesday. And then today they had Jalen Hudson, Vic Law, Jordan Murphy, Yoeli Childs, Kevin McLean, and the Memphian, Jeremiah Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple on here that could be maybe someone like Brandon Goodwin from last year who the Grizzlies worked out and ended up not drafting, signed him to a training camp deal, a summer league roster, you know, then ended up getting a two-way contract with the Nuggets. Um, so... I think you have a couple of those. Jawan Morgan, you know, super talented. Uh, I liked Matt McQuaid at Michigan State. I don't know how much of a actual impact he'll have on the NBA, but he could be someone kind of like a Pat Connaughton who wasn't super highly recruited but just worked his tail off and right. now has turned himself into a solid rotation player for the Bucks. Bouncy, man. Yeah. But I, th- I think the biggest name in, in here is clearly Jeremiah Martin. Um, I don't see him having a big NBA career. But I think they could do what they did with Markel Crawford and similar to Brandon Goodwin where we're going to have you on the summer league team. You get to come to training camp and you're going to spend your year down in South Haven with the Memphis Hustle, which assuming Jeremiah doesn't get drafted, I don't know if you can ask for much better because the Grizzlies have good facilities. You get to play at home. He'll be comfortable there and he can kind of show his worth. And if he excels with what the Grizzlies have done with their hustle players in the past is reward them with you know 10-day contracts at the right. end of the year so you know he has a chance of getting some nba minutes here but all these guys are just going to be late second rounders undrafted since especially since the lottery hasn't shaken out we don't know where we'll be picking if any in the first round right i mean you're around the hustle more than pretty much anyone on the planet so do you, does having memphis ties bode well for for jeremiah martin and hopefully getting a hustle call do you think that that really matters at the end of the day does it or it's got to at least put the needle in a good direction for him right oh yeah Com- i mean if you look at the two years the hustle have been and they've had a plethora of memphis talent right i mean Austin Nichols, you know, didn't have the end of the, his college career that he would have liked, but he still got a chance, mostly because of his Memphis ties. Now, it also helped it was the Hustle's inaugural season. You want names, players are going to come watch. But Markel Crawford, you know, there, there's just guys Jarnell people are going to want to see. Yeah, Jarnell Stokes. Um, so I think it helps. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's the G League. Um, I mean, it's, it's high-quality basketball. It's super entertaining. But they know that if they want to make money, they need to have someone that people are going to come see. And out of almost anyone in this draft or that's probably not going to get drafted, Jeremiah Martin's probably the top of their list of guys to go get because they know the Tiger faithful will drive down to the Lander Center to go watch Jeremiah play. Yeah, as they should. I mean, Jeremiah Martin has kind of, he cemented himself as a as a Memphis Tiger legend. He's he will forever be beloved and for a very good reason. He stuck to the team and was our leader through some very dark times. Thank God for Penny Hardaway. Uh, 
So what kind of NBA player do you think he is? Like, do is there any comps to him? Today on the show, I said that he reminded me kind of of like a Brandon Jennings light. He's he, he's the light version of Brandon Jennings because he's not a, the offensive weapon that he is. Because I think one of the reasons that he is probably going to be a uh, after lottery or after the draft signing is because he. Although he can get very hot, he is still a little bit streaky on the offensive end, and he doesn't have a deadly three-point shot. I think he shot around 34% in college. He's also an in-between guard. That's kind of tough in today's NBA. He's 6'3", like 175, 185, and so he's kind of a point guard. He's kind of a two-guard. He doesn't really have a, a place, but he's also not a an excellent perimeter defender. He's a good perimeter defender, but not an excellent one. So I do you think that the best case scenario for him is is just to kind of get some G League contracts every once in a while and then every once in a while pop up in the NBA? I wouldn't be surprised to see him at the end of some seasons getting some garbage time minutes. And who knows, he might hit. I hope he does. I hope he hits in the NBA, but I think it's really unlikely. Uh, it, to me, he seems like the type of player that's going to get some NBA games. Maybe about 10 to 12 might be his cap. I don't know if he makes it to like a number like 30, but overseas seems like his destination, right? Yeah, I'd say so. And I think a lot, large part depends on where he ends up this offseason. If he lands on a place where it's a lot like Memphis, where he's forced to be that main guy, because Jeremiah had a lot, you know, he had a lot on his back the past two years, scoring-wise, like just carrying the team. Being the vet. Yeah. So if he's in that situation – I don't know how he's going to do, you know, if he's having to carry the Memphis Hustle, scoring 30 points a game just to, you know, maybe not get blown out by 20, then I think, you know, he's a G League guy for a couple of years and then go chases the money overseas. But, you know, if, you know, the Hustle retains some of their guys and he's able to be more of a, you know, work on some facilitating as like a combo guard type because the Hustle really for the greater part of the two years have rolled out point guards at the one and two spot. Um, so he can kind of, if he's not asked too much, I think he has the chance of kind of like you said, having a good year in the G League, maybe getting a 10-day or two at the end of the season, and then maybe something like what Tariq Phillip did who played for the Hustle last year, signing a technically two-year deal with the Wizards once the season was up, but it's non-guaranteed for next year, and it's mm-hmm. basically the training camp invite. So I think there's the potential. I think he has the ability. I think it just depends on what, situation he lands in right right I I tend to agree with that but like you said at the beginning of the show pretty much everything with the Grizzlies all hangs on what happens Tuesday at at the draft lottery there's so many different situations to break down so what we're going to do we're going to kind of go through all of the different situations that the Grizzlies can have there's really only a few it's 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 literally a handful you can either pick one two three four trade the pick convey the pick or you pick eight those are the only options we have here so right off the bat both of us agree that conveying the pick to boston is is the best answer right yeah you or best case scenario you you want to convey the pick because then you get over that obligation and it helps you plan for the future right because it would like they've already begun the quote-unquote rebuild it's not like a it's not a true rebuild because they kind of started ahead of of where a true rebuild were we we didn't hit ground floor we're getting we got close but we didn't hit it all the way to the ground floor but if we had if we had to give the pickup to Boston next year that just that just almost that just delays everything and it puts it another year behind with Jaron Jackson Jr. we do not want an Anthony Davis situation so we've got to put guys around him and that's why in a draft that I think everyone agrees does have talent in it but it is weaker than the drafts coming up this is the one that you don't want to have the pick in I agree 100%. Okay so Best case scenario, it would have us all streaking the streets and everything would be on fire and celebrations as if somehow, some way, the Memphis Grizzlies land the number one pick. 
and Zion Williamson comes into the FedEx Forum and he's wearing some Bill Street blue. What do you think the pairing of Zion and Jaron Jackson Jr. would look like? It would be insane to watch from an athletic standpoint. Right. Because both freaky athletic. I mean, people forget, you know, all the crazy things Jaron did because he got hurt, you know, the second half of this past year. But everyone knows all this, everything Zion brings to the table. It's still a mystery kind of how he'll fit in today's NBA. But to me, Zion just screams winner. And it's going to be entertaining basketball. Yeah, Zion is he's perplexing because we've literally never seen a player like him. Like his comps are a more athletic Julius Randle, a more athletic Charles Barkley, kind of a new age Blake Griffin. He doesn't shoot terribly from the three point. On seventy one attempts last year, he shot thirty three percent. So that's not bad. If he can keep that number around thirty percent, that's that's all we that's all an NBA team would need for him. I think everyone can agree that if you don't take Zion Williamson number one and you have the number one pick, you deserve to be fired because yeah. that is like since LeBron and probably since AD, there has not been another pick, number one, that's like, you have to take this guy or you're you're a moron. Like, last year, there were two guys that you could have taken number one. This year, it's you are taking Zion Williamson or you can walk out the door. So, if he can just improve his shooting a little bit in the NBA, that'd be fun to see. Where do you think he's going to play position-wise? Is he a three or is he a four? I Like, for the Memphis Grizzlies, of course, he would be a four because Darren would have to move to a small ball five, but Parker Fleming, positionless basketball, as, <laughs> to, as they would say today. Uh, so, with the Grizzlies, he would be a four, but I think on some teams, like, let's say he lands on the Atlanta Hawks, they could put him at the three. Yeah. I, I, think, I think, to your point, it depends on where he lands. Right. But definitely a three or four. I think... Um, you know, if you want to get even, you know, a little bit crazier with it, you could have him as, you know, play some minutes at a small ball five because mm-hmm. he's athletic and quick enough to, you know, protect the rim against, you know, more bench players. Like, yeah. I'm not, not going to put him at five, you know, go up against a guy like Enos Cantor. But, you know, if you have another team kind of spreading the floor out, like you can live with him at center minutes. I think he's almost, I mean, any of the front court positions he can play. Yeah. Um, and like you said, like his shooting, he'll need to improve on that a little bit. I'm interested to see, especially if he lands on a good three-point shooting team like the Hawks, because what hurt his percentages at Duke, in my opinion, was, one, he was the focal point. Right. And two, they had no shooting like, None. at all. None. So it it was hard for him to like have the space to – like it's amazing, one, he was able to get in the lane as much as he did, but I think having a more spaced-out offense will only improve his three-point shot – Unless Memphis, because we suck at three-point shooting. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, we do. But like Zion needs to go to a team that they, they run the break. I mean, let's be honest. He thrives in the in the transition game. He's a better passer than people give him credit for, and he's a better defender than people give him credit for. He's a really good rebounder, so that would probably help with his pairing with Jaron. But at the number two pick, this is kind of where you could technically have a debate, but I don't think it's a real debate. You could either take uh, R.J. Barrett or John Morant. For the Grizzlies, I think that they would almost have to take John Morant at that position because that would then allow you to start shopping my Conley, which I think everyone kind of knows is possibly the plan this offseason. He's expressed interest in, in leaving to go to a contender, and I personally think that the Grizzlies, he, he's given this city and this team enough time. Let's try to set him up to go to a contender, but also make sure you get assets back. Yes, you want to do well by the player, but you also need to make sure you do well by the franchise, and I think that they did a great job with it with Marcus All, and hopefully hopefully we could replicate it with Mike Conley, but at the at the two at the two spot, if the Grizzlies land there, I think they have to take John Moran. R.J. Barrett is a entire icing prospect, but there's something that, that he's lacking, and I don't know if he fits the Grizzlies to, at the two spot. I would take him at the three spot. Like I think the top three are kind of locked. I think one is one is Zion, two is Ja, three is RJ. Do you see any difference in that? 
no. I mean, from a Grizzlies perspective, I think that's that would easily be the big board. Um, if you had asked me before um, the exit interviews where Mike made his comments and then everyone got fired, kind of, right? you know, blindsided. Black, Black Thursday, as Eric yeah. likes to call it. <laughs> if you had asked me before that, I might, you know, give more, you know, thought to RJ at two over Ja, you know, if they wanted to keep Mike, you know, through his contract. But Mike kind of sounds like he wants out. And, I mean, Ja is a great point guard or point god prospect, like he called himself earlier this week. Um, I, I think he's the clear number two. Um, from other teams, I think two and three are interchangeable between RJ and Ja. They're the clear two right behind Zion. So from a Grizzlies perspective, I would take Ja at two. Um, just the the potential he has to be a good NBA point guard is just too much to pass on. Right. And I think it's I don't agree with the comps of him to a to a Russell Westbrook. I don't think he's really a Russell Westbrook type. I think that it's just like, oh, this guy has triple doubles, Russell Westbrook. I think he's more of like a like kind of like a Dennis Smith Jr not fat John Wall type of player. You know what I mean? Like That's the player he reminds me of the most. He's super fast, a good shooter, a great passer in the transition, lives in the, in the trans- transition game. He's another guy that, if he can go to a team with transition, like I think Ja Morant on the Suns would be so much fun to watch. Like yeah. That would open up that team so much. He would get Devin Booker, or De- Devin Booker off ball. It would allow them to just run, run, run so much because DeAndre Ayton is a really good big man that can run the floor. So who do you think is, is Ja Morant today's NBA? Does he really have a, a comp like what kind of player do you expect him to be do you think it might take him some extra time because he is I mean he's already said that he's a point god and he so he's definitely got the confidence and I like that I like that he has the confidence he has like he thinks that he can come in and do really well the only thing with him is that they, they've got to make sure that he doesn't kind of get blinders on he can't just try to take over a game because Murray State we have to be real about this they didn't play the best competition he did really well in the NCAA tournament but he but ultimately couldn't get his team over the hump yeah, I agree. I think you kind of mentioned it, a not-fat John Wall, and maybe even for the beginning part of his career, is super skinny John Wall. Right. You know, because like, he's not a super-built player. Um, he's got a little bit of length to him. I think you know, I think he has the potential to be a great NBA player. And I think he gets the Westbrook comparisons a lot because he was carrying that Murray State team. Right. There's not a lot of prospects on that team, so he kind of had to do everything a la Westbrook pre-Paul George and – Westbrook still tries to do everything with Paul George on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think John Wall is a pretty good comparison for him, um, especially like before like John's shooting fell off a cliff and he gained like 30 pounds and had that god-awful USA photo, I guess, yes. this past offseason. Bad things. And I, I like the Dennis Smith comparison too. Um, I, I think he needs to go to a place like Phoenix. I think he'd do well in Memphis where there's not necessarily the pressure to win right away. Mm-hmm. Someone like Mike Conley who he can go through some growing pains, you know, through the first couple of years, you know, learn how to be a point guard in the NBA. The confidence is there, which is great. But you don't want to put him in a position like if he gets, if the Lakers get the second pick and they take Jaw and, you know, ship Lonzo somewhere. I don't know how well he would do with the Lakers outside of having LeBron as a great mentor because the pressure and, like you said, with the blinders. Right. Yeah, I mean, because the one thing about him is that he he's a good shooter but not a great shooter. He shot 36% from three on 157 attempts last year, so he kind of needs some work on his shot mechanics. It's a little funky, but when he gets hot, he gets hot. But one thing.
thing I really like about him is that he's great at things like cutting, rebounding, and facilitating in the flow of an offense. So he really does know how to run an offense. So he, he kind of has two different gears. He can kind of be a floor general, but he can also go like just supernova and just try to take over a game. So I think if he finds a balance between those two, that will do really well for him in the NBA. And then, of course, that moves us on to R.J. Barrett right now. He was the... I mean, coming into the season, would you say that he was a bigger hype prospect than Zion? Like, Zion, we had, we didn't know really that Zion was that guy. Like, we knew about his mixtape highlights and the dunking and all that kind of stuff, his, his vertical leap. But before we really saw Zion, we were like, oh, sh- oh, sh- I don't know if I'm allowed to cast. Oh, shoot. I don't know if I'm allowed to cast. Sorry. <laughs> I have no idea yeah, either. I have no idea. Oh, shoot. Uh, He's a different type of player. We've never seen this before. RJ Barrett was the guy. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he was the number one pro or the number one recruit coming into the season. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, you nailed it. It's I think if you just Google top prospects, you know, going into college this past season, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of Zion. You know, especially like from his sophomore, junior year of high school, all his dunking highlights. So I think people not in tune with the college basketball world might know Zion's name more than RJ. But, you know, the college basketball nerds, the gurus, or even the people that just casually watch it right. knew R.J. more than Zion. Because mm-hmm. R.J. was supposed to be the guy. And Zion just, with the highlights and all that, took over. And R.J. still tried to be the guy. Um, I mean, he, he had a good year for him. I'm a little bearish on R.J. just because he almost reminds me of, like, his floor could be like a J.R. Smith, like a yeah, like a shooter-shoot. Um, if, I, if I'm not... If I'm not scoring 30 points, I'm not interested on the defensive end. I'm going to sag, you know, off and not pay attention on the offensive end, you know, if I'm not getting my buckets. So he he reminds me a little bit of a selfish player, um, at least watching him in the tournament. You know, I think it was the stat in, like, Duke's games with under a minute left, you know, with some, like, within 10 or something like that. RJ was one from nine from the field, and Zion shot the ball once. Yeah. So it kind of sounded like RJ didn't fully know his role, but – he, I think he still be a good player. I just, I'm a little bearish on him. Yeah, I, I think that his number one thing is he can score the, he can score the ball. He's not going to come in and be the facilitator and the all around player that you would probably hope he could be at his size. I think a really good comp that I've seen a couple of times is he's kind of like a Rudy Gay. I think Rudy Gay is probably the type of player he is. One huge red flag. It and it. It, it's truly a red flag and kind of surprising is he only shot 30% from three last year, and that's on 237 attempts. So he had the shots to, to step it up. I will say when Zion went down, he did kind of carry that team for a little bit, but I did always feel like I wanted some more from him. Uh, and then Cam Reddish, here's the one thing I'll say about him. Absolutely not. No. No. I mean, if I forgot that you were on the floor for Duke when Zion was off, was not playing, I don't want, like, I think he needs to stay another year. I really do. I don't think he's ready. I think he might be a shrinking violet. If I'm wrong about that, I'll admit it. But everything I've seen from him is bad. I haven't seen anything that's like, yeah, that's an NBA player with NBA confidence. All three of the guys that we've talked about so far think that they're the best player in this draft. And that's very important. Cam Reddish does not have any confidence. He would disappear on that Duke team sometimes. So the one thing with R.J. Barrett is, so his his lack of shooting ability is kind of scary. He does really well in the mid-range and he can get to the paint very well because of his size. He's got great size, but he does... He's one of the guys that gets some blinders on. He misses open guys all the time. He makes some really boneheaded decisions. He tries a lot of shots. He like he'll try to go through like three defenders and put up like a crazy layup. So he needs to work on his shot selection and his decision making and his shooting. I think those are probably the number one things that he needs to work on coming into the draft. And now here's the tricky part. Let's say that the Grizzlies land at four, and four is not 
ideal, but it's also not bad. Having the fourth pick in, in the NBA draft is not a bad thing to have. So this is where you start having the discussion. Do you trade the pick? Uh, I think that there's three guys that you could possibly take here. You could take Jarrett Culver. You could take DeAndre Hutner, And then you could take Garland. So of those four options, which one do you like the most? I, I'm going to take Garland out of it. I, he's you know he's kind of the mystery of the top part of the yeah, the lottery. Yeah, Darius. Inter- I, okay, interesting because I think Garland's the best option here. I, and I was also very bearish on Jaron because I thought I didn't want to get a mystery prospect. Didn't know how it was, and I was totally wrong on that. Well, um, to be fair, most most people were. Yeah, and so uh, but I'm the same way with Darius. So uh, I'm hoping you know if we do end up with Darius. Lightning strikes twice, but I, th- I think it kind of depends on what the Grizzlies want. DeAndre Hunter kind of fits more of the old school thinking of the Grizzlies, like the grit and grind Grizzlies, great defense, timely shots. Um, but I think the direction they're going, I think they would go Jarrett Culver. Um, a little bit more of the offensive potential, um, I mean, the good length, all that. Really, all three of them are great players. I, I like the prospects of all of them in the NBA. Um, Garland's injury that took him out of all of last season with Vanderbilt, scares scares me a lot, but I really like Culver and DeAndre Hunter, and I think you know if it comes down and they get four and they don't trade back and they choose one of them, it'll kind of signal you know if they're still going to be forcing grit and grind kind of down our throats, or right? Some sort of defensive mentality mantra, or if they're going to you know go with a guy like Jared Culver and be more you know offensive have more offensive firepower. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the reason I would take Garland here, um, and it's kind of a two-folded answer. One. Taking Garland here allows you to really shot, shot Mike Conley. It, it really does. Conveying the pick allows you to do it even more, but having taking the Garland at the four allows you to do that. But even if you don't trade Mike Conley, he's got Mike Conley there to learn from. And I don't know if there's a better point guard in the NBA to be a mentor to a player than Mike Conley. It's That's like the dream scenario. And Garland, man, he he's a type of player where if he hits, he can really be, he's not franchise changing, but he can be your second or third best player on a team. And especially having two young guys like him and Jaron together, having them grow together and build that relationship. We saw it with... I mean, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook didn't work out the way that they hoped to, but they still were an unbelievable team for many, many years, and they developed together, and I think that they did have a bond before that ugly breakup. Uh, I think that they did have a bond and a really good friendship that that translated to the court. Another thing that I like about Garland is he's an NBA player's son, and we've seen in the past in this kind of new wave of generation is these guys are coming in with a different mentality. They know the work ethic. So his dad being in the NBA, being part of the culture there, he knows coming in, into this that he has to take this seriously. He, he's not not going to come in. He's not going to dick around at practice and stuff like that. He's really, really going to take it seriously. Sorry if I'm not, not allowed to cuss. But he's one of the really good things I like about him is he's a great pick and roll playmaker. And with Jaron Jackson Jr., that's super important. Uh, he's he's very fast. He's a really good shooter, especially off the dribble. He. He only had 23 attempts from three last year, but he shot 47%. That's pretty good. Uh, his effective field goal percentages was 63%. He kind of needs to work on his free throws. He's a little bit of an undersized guard, so if he puts on some weight and maybe continues to grow, which he might be because he's still a super young guy, that's going to help him on the defensive end. So 
He tore his meniscus in his left knee last year, and taking injured players is risky. It is. Having guys that are risky, we've seen that with the Grizzlies before, but it does seem like from all the experts and from everyone we've talked to, like we had Kevin Pelton on the show yesterday, and he was basically like, Darius Garland's the guy at four. He's the guy that you need to take, and uh, I, I tend to agree with him. I think he brings a lot of really good things to the table. You mentioned DeAndre Hunter. One of the reasons, I think DeAndre Hunter's a winner, but I think DeAndre Hunter is like a fourth, fifth, sixth kind of man on NBA team. He's going to really help your team win. He's kind of like an Iggy. Does that make yeah. any sense? Like I could see him playing like an Iggy role on the on the Warriors. He's not going to be one of the top tier guys, but he's going to be super important to that team. One thing that concerned me in the NCAA tournament, he played very well, but I also forgot he was on the floor. He had games where, like you said, you forget he's on the floor and then he really kind of peaked right at the last couple of games, stepped mm-hmm. up big time. Um, and kind of like to your point with Iggy, I think DeAndre Hunter probably has the highest floor and the lowest ceiling out of the guys we're talking about. I think out of the three, he's the least likely to bust, be bad. Right. But he's also the least likely to be the guy or a star player, um, which being going with the safe pick is also a Grizzlies move. Kind of going back to what you talked about, Garland, um, one thing I'd be interested in, one – with the Grizzlies marketing, you know, they did the Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jaron Sr. bank commercials. Right. They can double down on those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Double. Um, but also, you know, with DeLon Wright, if you draft Garland, it kind of gives you a little bit more flexibility with what you do with DeLon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'll be a restricted free agent. So if a team throws out a crazy contract because of the, uh, you know, triple doubles at the end of the year. Peace. You may not have to ma- yeah. match it because you got Garland. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And then, of course, you got to get guy Jarrett Culver. He's the third guy that I think that they could possibly take here. I'm very high on Culver. If I had to rank the guys, I'd probably say it's Garland, Culver, Hunter for me. Uh, I think that he needs to work on his shooting. He shot 30% from three on 161 attempts. And the reason that we keep bringing up the three-point percentage is, let's be honest, like the Grizzlies need three-point shooting, so it's going to be a really big thing about this. He's a really smart player. He's always in the right place at the right time. NBA scouts talk about how he is literally always in the gym, and he has a work ethic. He's a dog. He's got that mentality where he can he wants to take over the game. He wants the ball, and I think that's really important. He makes some really tough shots, most of them from the from the uh, the two-point range, mid-range. He's really good off the dribble and catch and shoot kind of guy but he just needs to work on his three-point shooting the most and some of his shot make some is like he makes really tough shots but he also takes really bad shots sometimes and although he does want to take over the game which is really cool he does sometimes get like he sees red and he can kind of hurt your team in a way that maybe Russell Westbrook does he needs to work on his defensive game just a little bit he's not the best ball handler in the world either and one of the reasons he would turn over the ball a lot is to see he would basically like stare at the guy he was about to pass it to for a while and then he would throw it and in the NBA a guy's gonna be like oh you're telegraphing this I'm gonna steal the ball so I think that he has his defense he's I don't think he's ever gonna be like a elite defender but he can at least be a good defender he can be a really good two-way wing in the NBA which would be which would do well for the Grizzlies and that's why like I think that RJ is the best wing prospect, but I think Culver's the second best wing prospect because I, I do consider, oh, I guess DeAndre Hunter, but he's third. So, um, what do you, do you, would you be happy with Jarrett Culver? Would you be ha- willing for the Grizzlies to take a risk on him at four over the other guys? Uh, it's tricky. I'll say it's tricky because he's the least sure thing of these two guys, I think. I, I agree. He's I, got a crazy amount of potential, but it's, it is a question mark because he, Here's his comps. It's very spread. You got Chris Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon, which would be, oh my God, he's so underrated. People don't give him enough credit. But then Jeremy Lamb. So those are two extremes. Yeah. I would probably say just from a 
if you're making the pick and you have to keep it, go with the safe. So I, I would kind of have him ranked behind Hunter and Garland. Um, I wouldn't be super upset if they took Culver at four, but I would be more excited with the other two. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the, another scenario is that they could possibly get the eighth pick, and I think that they're the name that I've heard the most and I think makes the most sense. That's a guy where Hunter could drop down to the eight pick, so we've already talked about him. But Brandon Clark, he's a really good guard from, from Gonzaga, really great defender. That's like the number one thing. Having him and Jaron Jackson Jr., good luck trying to score there. They would have a really good defensive rotation game there. He's not the best scorer, but he's a good scorer. He's, he's got some veteranship being from a program like Gonzaga. Those players always come in with a good mentality. So I wouldn't mind taking him at eight. Another person that they've been kind of tied to or they got listed on a mock draft on ESPN was Sequoia. Uh, Domboye, Domboye? Um, forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. He is a French player. He's very risky to me. He is a, he's a selfish player, but he's a really good scorer. He's got he's a versatile player, but I don't think that I would be willing to take the risk on him. I'd rather take Brandon Clark or DeAndre Hunter or even if Jarrett Culver falls there as well. I would rather take one of those type of players at eight. I agree, and I think uh, I really like Brandon Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, his fit with the Grizzlies is a little peculiar to me, but similar to someone like DeAndre Hunter, I've heard nothing like bad about mm-hmm. Clark. Like he's they, not a great shooter. That's the only thing. Yeah. And he's not going to be a great player. He's not going to be a star in you know that's a diamond in the rough. He's just going to be someone like Hunter who is not going to be bad. Like mm-hmm. it's a safe pick, you know, especially if you're picking eight. Um, Romeo Langford's another one. I'm he was not good this year for Indiana. No. But because of, you know, the apparent, I think, what was it, his wrist? Uh, I believe so. Like, so that that's kind of, I guess, helping his stock if he was playing on an injured wrist. I'm a little hesitant to draft him just from him being terrible uh, for Indiana last year on top of the injury. I'm, I'm skeptical, but I also am intrigued because at eighth it's kind of – well, what the hell, if we're stuck with the eighth pick, like worst case scenario, you might as well, you know, go for it if that's who you like. But I, I would hope some of the guys we mentioned previously uh, fall. Right. Right. And I think that a player that Brandon Clark really reminds me of is a guy like Marcus Smart. He's not the best shooter, but he can score the basketball when he needs to. He's better in the paint than anything because of his size. He's a big guard. He, I mean, he's 6'8". He's, he's, and his defensive versatility is great. He, he's a more mature player. He's 22, which is not a bad thing. I don't under, I don't understand the weird stigma of players that are older. It just means that he wanted to stay in college and gain more experience, which is a good thing. So he'd be like a Marcus Smart type of player for us. He had 3.1 blocks per game last year, which is holy hell. That's pretty incredible. Uh, his, his efficient field goal percentage was 69%, so he can still score the basketball when he's not shooting threes because he didn't really shoot threes. He only shot 15 of them, so at least he's better than Ben Simmons. Yeah. And then, of course, the last option is you trade the pick. I think that y'all have beat that to death on uh, GBB. So, like any of the articles, Parker Fleming wrote a fantastic article about that. Then Joe Mullinex followed it up. Um, I think the best case scenario for us would be possibly trading trading Mike for a pick and Lonzo Ball. Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of it, man. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on, uh, you know, stepping in for Parker and Nate. Um, 
It's been fun. But yeah, kind of like to your point, I would hopefully we convey. Um, and at that point, you kind of trade Conley. Joe and Parker have excellent pieces down at grizzlybearblues.com. Um, Connor, go ahead and plug out all your social media. Yeah, man. You can find me at cdunning929 on Twitter. I'm Connor Dunning on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook if you want to. Listen to 929 ESPN every day from 2 to 4. We got something brewing. It's going to be really good. Uh, I think Jeffrey Wright's doing a fantastic job, and he's, he's keeping the, the ship afloat. So go check that out. And uh, thanks, guys. I was say, I'm going to harp on that for a second. I was a little curious to see how the show was going to go after Eric left 92.9, not the Grizzlies, to spend more time with his family and all that. I was curious to see how it goes, and Connor and Jeffrey have done an excellent job, so uh, be sure to tune in 92.9, 2 to 4 every day. They do a great job. Um, that's about it for uh, Core 4 Podcast for today. Again, I'm Brandon Abraham, senior writer for grizzlybearblues.com. Mm-hmm.